This is Unfiltered, episode 222 for January 18th, 2017. We even saw it in this cyber intrusions against political parties and individuals in the United States of America. We should expect further attempts by Russia to meddle in the democratic process. It will occur again, I promise you. And again, the purpose is clear, to collapse the liberal international order. Welcome to Unfiltered Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's hopefully helping you avoid that news. My name is Chris, Mr. Chase. He's out sick today, but filling in for our buddy is Mr. Noah. Hello, Noah. Thanks for making the Unfiltered show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hey, buddy. What time is it where you're at right now? It is just past 8 o'clock. All right. Good. So this is like you're just probably hitting your stride right now, actually. This is perfect Noah time. (laughs) We have this is. is my brain just woke up. This is our last unfiltered before inauguration, so it's kind of the perfect show for you to be on here because you were on our first show right after the election. So it's sort of a yin and a yang thing, and we have a lot to get into today. There's a ton of news in all of our general categories, and now this week, the cyber and the Russia, they're all kind of one category, Noah. They're all one big hodgepodge. It's like a potluck where everybody brings a little bit to the table. And uh, it started with a little hysteria this week, which is one of my favorite moments because people... We're just convinced it was a hack. Mainstream and social media have been awash with conspiracy theories after U.S. cable TV network a C-SPAN was suddenly interrupted by a broadcast of this very channel for an entire 10 minutes. What? Yeah, so the C-SPAN feed all of a sudden in the middle of a broadcast switched over to RT and started broadcasting RT, Russia Today on C-SPAN. A coverage of proceedings in the House of Representatives was replaced by RT's news feed. RT's Miguel Francis Santiago takes a look at the, uh, well, the frenzy it called. It's good to feel powerful. People are scared of clandestine powers and constantly fear your next move. With a bill that would basically take our cop on the block, the SEC, and literally obliterate... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Ten minutes of Kremlin propaganda Woo! in the middle of a cable feed, and everyone's spooked. Politicians, including the speaker who was on at the time. While I'm on the floor of the House talking about Trump and Russia, I get interfered with and interrupted by Russia today. It's strange. It's odd. Surprise, mm. C-SPAN was interrupted by RT, the Kremlin-backed TV network. I thought that doesn't happen until Jan 20th. I just thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was just pretty funny. And of course, RT has to be smarmy about it. They can't just, uh, they can't just cover it. They have to be a bunch of jerks about it. <laughs> is, is that, is that uh, satirical? No, that, well, that's our, I mean, that really happened. The C-SPAN feed really got interrupted. Uh, it, it's, it's. <laughs> But, you know, RT has, like, this weird smug attitude about it. They, like, they try to almost be demeaning about the idea that the Russians are these great hackers. Like, they try, like they try to downplay it by, by, by demeaning the very idea, by sort of mocking it in a way. Now, it's not hard to interrupt anybody talking about Russia because Russia and Trump are the only thing the media is talking about this week. In fact, MSNBC, the low-budget network that they are, found a really clever way to save some money and just cut to the chase. 
done. Uh, but I actually think this whole uh, flap, whatever the Russians may have intended uh, with their hacking, has made it much more difficult to yeah. get to where they want. There's now a big impediment. When you hear General Mattis today, this was live. Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, almost swearing that they're going to be hardliners on Russia. There was an air in the broadcast, and for 28 seconds or something like that, this just looped on MSNBC. <laughs> That, awesome. Isn't that it? That's that's pretty much just saves them a little bit Wait, of time. He handled that probe to help. Anyways, that was the uh, broadcast there. Then uh, to make sure in, when we're we want to be prepared, if C-SPAN gets hacked or MSNBC's feed gets taken over, we need cyber soldiers for the future. So if we talk about cryptography, it's been around for about four thousand years. It's and not like- even nine a.m. and these cadets are already being drilled in wow. applied algebra with cryptology, the study of codes. It's just one of the disciplines in the West Point Military Academy's cyber curriculum. That's what we call a brute force attack when we look at doing cryptanalysis on ciphers, is we just try every possible key in the key space. Some of these young men and women will join the Army's less than three-year-old cyber branch when they graduate. When A is not invertible, that's what I want. Their tutor, Major Natalie Venata, is a cyber officer herself, currently on teaching assignment. How do I get that gig? I can do that! I could be yeah, a cyber yeah. officer teaching people cyber stuff. I used to do penetration testing. What's up? I'll show them how to use yeah, Cali. You got to do it. You, you have to be very angry, though. I think. <laughs> teaching assignment. We explore the mathematical ideas and foundations that make encryption systems work today. If I use a bunch of them and interweave them, that's really important because it really helps these cadets develop their critical and creative thinking skills when it comes to well, what do we do next? In tradition dating back centuries, West Point is now at the forefront of developing the Army's newest and most technologically advanced career field. You know, it's funny how they don't even question how those two things don't go together at all. That's oil and water. You can't be so steeped in tradition and also be at the cutting edge of technology and cyber warfare. Mm-hmm. The two things don't work. Right. Combating the yeah. growing threat in cyberspace. We need to have soldiers that are able to incorporate the fighting in the domain of cyber into everything that we do in the army that's right well beyond just the setting up of the networks or the intelligence is being collected over networks to actually learn how to maneuver in cyberspace and to be a war fighting element you know what is legitimately scary to me is you can tell if you're in this industry at all that none of these people even that instructor have any idea what they're talking about gonna say that you can tell just by the vernacular he's using and the way he dodges and uses like these generic terms yeah it's like he's never touched a computer he talks like he talks like when i've briefed the manager above me on the situation and then he has to brief somebody above him but, that's exactly what it is but what scares me is these people something like this gentleman are in decision making positions and it makes me feel like mm-hmm. we are like dramatically woefully unprepared for anybody that does actually have their shit together say china or russia or the Ukraine, or Iran, or ISIS elite hackers, whoever is out there, Canadians, if they really are good and they have, and the people in charge understand the technology they're working with, they're going to outclass us because these guys have no idea what they're talking about. We do in the Army. That's well beyond just the setting up of the networks or the intelligence is being collected over networks to actually learn how to maneuver in cyberspace and to be a warfighting element. Mean? 
It doesn't mean anything. What, what I think how, it means how, to how learn how to use trace route ping and nmap. I think it means how to use telnet to try to access an HTTP server to try to say hello to get its version. I'm not sure what that means. Maneuvering. That's maneuvering in cyberspace? What? Like, I just I don't get it. So here's the problem. The entire chain from these guys that are right there teaching these people and he's running it all the way up to the president and everybody in between are all completely uninformed on this stuff and they're all just saying the same jargon to each other. The problem is that actually leaves us dangerously unprepared, number one. Number two, it's very exploitable because it allows industries to come in and exploit that ignorance to sell them solutions to solve the problems that they've been promising to people that they have no idea how they're going to actually solve. So they can come in with these huge, huge, huge projects and say <clears> – <throat> Yeah, pay us $50 million to upgrade Einstein to Einstein version 2. It'll solve all of your cyber intrusion problems. Well, where's Einstein? We talked about Einstein a years ago. Einstein gets this big upgrade for millions and millions of dollars. It's going to solve all of our problems in the government, and yet we have the OPM hack. We still had all of these other problems supposedly caused by the Russians. Einstein did nothing because nobody, nobody in government at any of these positions has any idea what they're talking about. My personal opinion is because if you really know what you're doing, you don't go to one of these jobs. You go get a job that pays you a lot more, that allows you to smoke a joint, that allows you to travel the world or whatever it is that fulfills you. And you don't go sit here and do these interviews. It's, but it, it freaks me out because reality means that there's probably other nations that do have their shit together that actually are going to have people in charge that do know how to make their team more lethal, more capable, and do understand the requirements. We do in the Army. That's well beyond just the setting up of the networks or the intelligence is being collected over networks to actually learn how to maneuver in cyberspace and to be a war-fighting element. Colonel Andrew Hall leads the Army Cyber Institute at West Point, which not only runs the education program here, but also operates as an army think tank on cyber warfare issues. Can you believe that? This guy's in charge of the place that acts as the Army's think tank for this stuff. So he just sits in a room and gets paid to come up with ideas. Well, he's supposed to be the big think tanks. I'm sure they have many are supposed to be the big visionaries of how to strategize for this stuff right. to figure out where trends are going to tell them ahead of time where to go. As an army think tank on cyber warfare issues. I suppose the danger is that you are teaching something that may be evolving faster than you can teach it. And we're trying to teach them and educate them so they can solve problems. We're not sure yet what they're going to have to solve. What? For cadets like 22-year-old Diana Contreras. Like, if he really believed that, that would be a statement that he has said more than once in his life and wouldn't fumble through. I know I'm being picky here, but if you really, truly believe something in your work and you're passionate about it, you can yes. iterate and you can talk about it. You can act, you can articulate. What? Iterate, talk, and exactly. articulate very easily. He's stumbling. Yeah, we're going to, yeah, right? Cyber's hard something is what he's basically saying. Faster than you can teach it. And we're trying to teach them. Scares me. And educate them so they can solve problems we're not sure yet what they're going to have to solve. This literally scares me more than any of the fake Russian hacking the election stuff, more than Mm. any of that. Mm. This scares me because it makes me feel like the people in charge have no idea what they're talking about. And that is leaving us in a really bad position. Well, we got to change topics. We got to change topics because I'm going to get too upset. Um Let's talk about somebody else that's getting really upset. That would be Russia after this move. Poland is set to formally welcome the biggest European deployment of U.S. troops in decades. But not everyone is welcoming that gesture. Our Jonathan Mann has the details. Yeah, 
Welcome to Poland. U.S. soldiers side by side with Polish troops at a ceremony Thursday. No challenge is too large to overcome. No distance is too far to cross. So Poland is getting this huge, huge um, uh, arms, tanks, and, of course, troops. Here's another quick take on it. Two U.S. soldiers officially welcomed at that opening ceremony in Poland. Now, I want you to listen to the words, U.S. soldiers officially welcomed. Now, keep listening because it goes quick. Two U.S. soldiers officially welcomed at that opening ceremony in Poland where the prime minister called it a great day. The prime minister called it a great day. CNN military analyst uh, Mark Hurtling is with us now. The, I don't really need to play the analyst part. There's there's going to even be a celebration on the weekend for the troops. They're going to have a big party. They're making a really, really, really big deal about this. They're trying to make it look huh. like Poland's feeling almost like they're liberated. The reason for this is Russia is super pissed. Surprise U.S.-Russia relations. Uh, first off, the spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, said that the U.S. military buildup in Poland threatens Russia's national interest. Just a few days ago, all the hardware of a U.S. combat brigade came ashore on the docks in Bremerhaven in Germany, and it's now rolling toward Poland. 4,000 U.S. troops are going to hook up with it, and then we'll take part in extensive multinational NATO exercises all through the summer. Woo! This amounts to the first buildup of U.S. troops on European soil since the Cold War, and the Russians clearly don't don't like it. No, they do not. They are not that's happy. How we go. That's how we roll. And uh, where the U.S. is using a couple of loopholes to pull this off. So there's agreements that don't allow us to station troops that close to Russia permanently. But we're mm-hmm. doing this little tricky thing where we're calling them rotational. So we rotate the troops in and out. So different troops are staying there. They're essentially there indefinitely. But we're, we go through all of the cost and hassle of cycling them, just consistently cycling them there. And then these war games are going to go through the entire summer on Russia's doorstep, basically flapping right in Russia's face. It is it, – it's, it's a big statement. It is. And I, I hope uh, – I hope things work out OK. You know, I, I would not be totally, uh, totally against the idea of keeping a little distance from Russia. Yeah, or I, I wonder – so to me, my, my take on this was – uh, this is sort of a, once you kind of start something like this, I mean, this doesn't just happen overnight. This is something that takes right. quite a lot of planning and preparation by the military. And then once they get there, it takes quite a lot of planning and preparation to get them out. And if you've already scheduled war games into the summer, Trump's not going to come into office and pull these guys out. So what Obama right. kind of did on his literally on one of his last days in office, like Two days, whatever. He he sets all this up. He gets these. He finalizes. He gets, he gets these guys in here, and it's one sort of middle finger to, to, to Putin and Trump, saying, "All right, well, there you go, guys. The job's done. There's nothing you can do now." And it's right. It's you know, it's just right on. It's going to push buttons because it goes against agreements in NATO. It's Russia is super pissed about it. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna say this is preparation for war. Over 3,000 American soldiers and hundreds of military vehicles have started arriving in Poland for NATO war games. The exercises, part of Operation Atlantic Resolve, are the largest in Europe in decades. And then, RT, you gotta you got to always be really skeptical of man-on-the-street reports because you can get them to say anything you want. And RT demonstrates this. They go to the man-on-the-street and get all the men-on-the-street to say it's a bad idea. Units from other NATO states will also join the operation before being deployed elsewhere in Eastern Europe in the coming weeks. As you can see, the operation spans territories right along Russia's western borders, from Estonia to Bulgaria. Like, literally right up against Russia's border, the next, mm-hmm. the next line 
line is Russia. The, the deployment was announced by the U.S. government in October in response to concerns from Russia's Baltic neighbours over perceived aggression from Moscow. But the arrival of those troops has already sparked anger in European countries. So this is where they go to the man on the street. We want to have a politic of dialogue and not a politic of escalation. And if you put troops and make a long-term maneuver like nine months now in Estonia is exactly on the Russian border, this will cause escalation. Yeah, I think it definitely will cause escalation and it's going to put uh, relations right off on a bad, on a sour note because there's not much Trump's going to be able to do about it. Had Obama, man. Russia put a bunch of tanks right on the Canadian border. Yeah, (laughs) imagine. Imagine that. Wouldn't look good. Noah, I uh, want to just take a moment. I want to thank our, our patrons before we get into the rest of the news because we have uh, we have a lot more to come to get into, and some of it's going to be domestic, and some of it's going to be world news. And since we're kind of done with the cyber and the Russia stuff, I thought it would be a good moment to stop and thank our patrons over at Patreon.com/unfilter, which is how this show is made possible. We I mean, think about it: what kind of sponsor really wants to put their name on a crazy show like this, where we're frying bacon all the time and we're reading mail sacks? Of course, we we don't have a mail sack this week because Mr. Chase's. Is out sick, so we can't really begin in his sack. But we'll pick it back up next week if you want to get in Club 33. Do we have any more spots available? Limited, yeah. Wow, one more spot for Club 33. Oh, man, this has got to be the week it goes. That's where you get some swag from time to time, and you can put your note in Chase's sack and get it read on the air, Club 33. But you can get it at any level you want, patreon.com slash unfilter. When you go to $2 a month or more, you get access to the uh, – uh, the uh, uh, the show posts, you get access to the back feed, you get access to the previous exclusive posts to all the patrons. That's something I don't mention very often is you get access to all of the previous exclusive posts too, which has now been weeks and weeks and weeks of stuff. I, I don't know why I never mentioned that because that's kind of nice. And then there's also the uh, investor level where you get access to the BitTorrent sync, which will probably eventually be migrated over to LibreVault. And when you do that, you get all of the clips. You just got to go back in the back post of Patreon, get that, and get all of the clips. And then if you want to help us test LibreVault, uh, let me know. Tweet me at Chris LAS. So patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks for supporting us. Even when one of us is down and out and it's a little different show, we really appreciate it. You can always use a little more support at patreon.com slash unfilter. Now, I want to talk about this, these hearings that are going on that are really, really putting pressure on James Comey to step down as director of the FBI. There are big Democrats that are pinning essentially Hillary's loss of the election squarely on his shoulders. FBI Director James Comey is facing renewed scrutiny on both sides of the aisle. Today, House Democrats left a confidential briefing with Comey on Russia hacking, fuming. It's classified and we can't tell you anything. All I can tell you is the FBI director has no credibility. Also today, the Republican-leaning Wall Street Journal editorial board says, quote, the best service Mr. Comey can render his country now is to resign. Oh, so I'm saying there's a little bit of pressure on him right now. You might have noticed there's there's some uh, high tension, you could put it. And there's uh, this is this MSNBC clip really kind of brings it home. The news that FBI Director James Comey's actions before the presidential election are now being reviewed. The Wall Street Journal is also now calling on Comey to step down, stating the best service Mr. Comey can render 
His country now is to resign. The Justice Department's inspector general says he is focusing on two things. Comey's news conference in July when he criticized the way Hillary Clinton and her aides handle their emails, calling them, quote, extremely careless. These criminals. That would be accurate. Yeah, these criminals got away with blatant violations of classified. Her aides read them. Her IT employees read them. She had them on multiple devices sent over the Internet to an unsecured, well, not properly secured server. Anybody else, anybody else would have burned at the stake and he let her get away with it. And when she did that, when he did that, right after this press conference, people went on there like Nancy Pelosi saying he was an honorable man. He was a great man, that we were fortunate to have a man running the FBI like James Comey. Handle their emails, calling them, quote, extremely careless. And the letter Director Comey sent to Congress 11 days before the election, revealing the FBI had to review new emails found on Congressman Anthony Weiner's laptop. You know what also would have been good if there just was no emails to review, if there was no email right. server scandal. Right. Why? Why is it that? And that, that was going to be my question is, why is it? Are we so focused on the fact that he looked into these emails rather than the fact that those emails were in an inappropriate place to begin with? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Clinton's uh, former spokespersons out there still pushing for this. Uh, it's the problem is, is the Clintons are in free fall, like their credibility is in free fall. And now their global initiative is shutting down. It's the end of a controversial era. The Clinton global initiative is closing its doors for good. Oh, this comes after Hillary Clinton's crushing loss in the presidential election, of course, on, in November. Yeah, but are they actually closing the doors or just laying off 22 people? Ed Henry's in Washington. Hi, Ed. Well, good to see you. Well, it's not the overall Clinton Foundation, as you notice, the Clinton Global Initiative that appears to be shutting down. There you go. I want to make sure we get that point in. With this filing that suggests they're laying off these 22 people with the goal of discontinuing uh, the situation altogether. Why? The situation. The situation. That's, is that significant? CGI, Clinton Global Initiative, was a key part of the Clinton Foundation. That was the event they would have every year in September in New York City, right around the UN General Assembly meetings, bring in world leaders, showcase the Clintons' clout all around the world. Uh, and why would they do that? Well, that was where all the foreign money was coming in. And remember, the Clinton campaign kept telling us, no, this is not about buying access. They're not trying to buy access to a potential president. They just want to be part of these important programs that are uh, fighting AIDS around the world and all the like. So now that Hillary Clinton lost, you would expect the money's pouring in, right? Because they didn't want access. No, just the opposite is happening. Uh, the New York Observer reporting, quote, as soon as Clinton lost the election, many of the criticisms directed toward the foundation were reaffirmed. Foreign governments began pulling out of annual donations, signaling the organization's clout was predicated on donor access to the Clintons rather than its philanthropic work. In November, the Australian government confirmed it has not renewed any of its partnerships with the scandal-played Clinton Foundation, effectively ending 10 years of taxpayer-funded contributions there in Australia worth more than 88 million dollars. And here's the kicker. Remember, the Clinton Foundation also had problems with their taxes. They had all those mistakes. They had to refile years of tax returns. What year, uh, what, what day now this year is the Clinton Global Initiative planning to shut down? Yes, April 15th. Guys. Of course. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I, I guess all that great work they did with AIDS in Africa, it wasn't all that great and isn't needed anymore. I guess the Clintons are too yeah, busy. Maybe they solved AIDS, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. All of the things that the Clinton Global Initiative did, you can look into, and there's a, there's a lot of interesting controversy around it. 
And so what happens is you have these, you know, if if I'm Russia and I want to buy access to, oh, I don't know, uranium deposits maybe in the U.S. And I go make a large donation to the Clinton Foundation and then pay Bill Clinton a lot of money to come give a speech, then maybe, just maybe, Hillary Clinton would sign something like the Uranium One deal. And when those options are off the table, why would they pay? I mean, you're going to have a lot of, quote unquote, investors that are very happy, unhappy that their, quote unquote, investment you know, didn't get a return. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't get their power. Did you hear about uh, Representative John Lewis and the sort of back and forth spat he started having mm-hmm. with Donald Trump? Yep. Um, I don't yes. I don't uh, I don't I, I don't like it when sometimes I think people perceive me as a Trump defender because I don't really consider myself. I just am an observer. But what I do tend to do is I just tend to sort of break down media bullshit. And I don't really have any I don't have a big investment in this story. But I, I do – I did see a lot of headlines about Trump tarnishing uh, the Martin Luther King weekend and you know Trump was being disrespectful. But if I – but I, what I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is I believe Representative John Lewis essentially took the first shot. You have um, forged relationships with many presidents. Do you plan on trying to forge a relationship with Donald Trump? You know, I believe in – Forgiveness. I believe in trying to work with people. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? That's a just before he goes on. I think that is a, an incredible first shot to take. I, I think the Russians participated. And happen, this man get elected, and then he starts with a total bullshit answer. And no Democrat really believes that they know that the the people didn't want Hillary Clinton, and that was a universal truth. Right. They have, and, the, and 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 I will also mention this: the popular vote does not represent that the people wanted Hillary Clinton. It represents that California wanted Hillary Clinton. That's really what the right. popular vote shows us. Destroyed right. the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. Russia did not destroy the. Hillary Clinton's emails, it wasn't even, it was John Podesta's emails and it was the DNC emails that were exposed that showed corruption. That's what got her, that, I mean, that, did you follow by my the way. And here's here's the thing. Everyone keeps saying the, the 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 thing that we keep spinning is that Russia hacked our election, Russia hacked our government, Russia hacked our democracy. It was a at the time that John Podesta got hacked, he was a private citizen activist. Our government was not hacked. His personal email as a private citizen activist, his email was hacked. And he was fished at that, not hacked. And on top on top of on top of that, on top of that, there is no evidence been presented to me, or I have not seen anything to suggest that Russia got access to voting machines in states like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin oh, no, no, no. and managed to effectively change votes. Now, nobody, I think, is happens, claiming that, though. I because mean, that's not – they're saying it was an influence campaign. No, it was an influence campaign. Influencing a campaign isn't illegal. Nor is there anything wrong with that. For the hundred, they, they were opening, they were opening letters, you know, from presidents a hundred years ago when they went to visit. I mean, we, people have been trying to influence each other's elections for years. That's nothing new, and that shouldn't shock anyone. But that's not illegal. It's it would, and and that's not hacking, and that's not. And so this idea, and and second of all, this this phrase, "they hacked our democracy." We don't live in a democracy. We have a republic. So I just that whole everything about that statement is false. 
Maybe those big fat checks Hillary took from the banks helped ruin Hillary's campaign. Maybe the fact that she just seemed like Obama 2.0 ruined Hillary's campaign. Maybe the fact that she was exposed for being extremely corrupt even before she ran for office for president. It's just it goes on now. uh, Let's do a little more on the email. handling of the probe into Hillary Clinton's email practices is to be investigated by the U.S. Department of Justice. It will examine whether the FBI's director, James Comey, violated established procedures by discussing the Bureau's findings at a press conference in July and by deciding to announce that the Clinton probe was being resumed shortly before the presidential election. So they are officially investigating the investigators to see if they have violated rules and policy and procedure. So there's an investigation going on. Now, it's almost That's a good. That's good. We should investigate. The next time we gather here, Obama will be out of the office. And uh, Josh Ernest was holding his last press conference, and he's had a lot of awkward moments. And thankfully, his last press conference didn't disappoint. Josh, first of all, on behalf of the White House Correspondents Association, uh, we want to thank you for your commitment to regular briefings with us. We haven't always agreed on everything, and there has always been... Uh, some tension, which is normal between a White House and the press board that covers it. But we are grateful to you and your team. For See if you can count uh, how many people clap here in just a moment. For working with the Correspondents Association and for your commitment to uh, to dealing with us on a daily basis. So thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. <laughs> how many claps? No, uh, I'm saying three or two. It's one two person. Three. In fact, if you watch, everybody turns and looks at the one person who clapped here. I'll play it back a little bit because it's so embarrassing. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. To be fair, I kind of expected claps. Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny. It's sort of embarrassing in a way. Uh, now, there's some good news. Speaking of Obama, I think, you know, I often struggle to say what, he, what was really great that he did while he was in office. And in his last couple of days, he might have done one of them. Chelsea Manning, the Army private convicted of leaking thousands of secret military and diplomatic documents, will be free in May. President Obama announced late this afternoon he will commute her 35-year sentence. I think justice was finally done today. Um, 35 years was not an appropriate sentence. The commutation is not a pardon. Her conviction still stands, but her sentence has been reduced to the seven years she will have completed in the next few months. The case broke in 2010 with all the makings of a spy thriller. A senior Pentagon official says the prime suspect is 22-year-old Army Private First Class Bradley Manning. The day after Manning was convicted, another bombshell, when Manning announced she was a transgender woman, now known as Chelsea. Manning twice tried to commit suicide last year. She is currently incarcerated in the male military prison at Leavenworth, Kansas. Was the government able to point to any specific damage as a result of the releases from Chelsea Manning? No, they were not. And we had secret uh, sessions of the court-martial where that would be the place that the government would do that. And the answer was no. What they would be able to show and what they did show was certain diplomats uh, had their feelings hurt. Uh, Certain countries were upset. Manning's 35-year sentence is the longest any leaker has ever received. But not everyone supports the decision. A senior U.S. official tells NBC News Secretary of Defense Ash Carter did not support the commutation. At her trial, Manning apologized for her actions, but that apology was never heard outside the courtroom until last week when NBC News broadcast it.
Can I go forward? I want to go forward. Before I can do that, though, I understand that I must pay a price for my decisions and actions. Today, President Obama decided that debt has been paid. Sources inside the intelligence community believe the reason Manning's sentence was so stiff was because Edward Snowden's massive leaks came to light just as Manning was being sentenced. Yeah, I, I remember that, and I thought that too. Right. So he's had a or she's had a bad time in prison. Uh, I'm I think this is probably a oh, good I move. So. And uh, uh, so here's my question. Here's my question. If I if I could, why is it that um, why is it that Somebody who like because the, the the left has been very very in support it seems of her release and I guess my question is why is it why is it so supported for somebody to leak government secrets and that's perfectly okay but everyone's all butthurt about releasing um, emails from a private citizen and that that's a huge you know blatant violation of privacy I, I just I don't understand the double standard. Yeah, personally, I feel like they're both justified if they expose corruption because we right. are a democracy and the people need information to vote. Hence why we do the unfilter show like this. Mm -hmm. it, an informed public is critical to a functioning democracy, particularly it's, when the people that when when the people that are supposed to be in charge are being undermined by those who are supposed to be serving the people. And that's what's being exposed. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why it's not like they're exposing um uh, things that are are not. I mean, I also there's some journalists that are making, I suppose, uh, some some choices. But uh, did you hear about part of the uh, part of this whole thing is that uh, that Assange sort of said, "Hey, look, if you commute Chelsea's yeah. sentence, I, I think this clip goes into. Mm -hmm. it. I haven't screened it yet, but uh, this now breaking news on RT. Former U.S. military intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning will be freed in May this year. Most of her 35 year sentence." for leaking U.S. military and diplomatic information to WikiLeaks has been commuted by President Barack Obama. RT's guy in Chichikan has details. Chelsea Manning is set to be freed on May 17th of this year. She has been in jail for nearly seven years, a transgender woman incarcerated at a male military prison. Manning has attempted suicide twice. She was sentenced to 35 years for leaking thousands of documents, including incident logs from the Iraq War, which showed many previously unreported instances where American soldiers killed civilians at checkpoints in operations from helicopters. One of the videos that Manning leaked showed the killing of two journalists from a helicopter. Mm -hmm. The White House called what Manning did damaging to national security. Last Friday, the founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, who published the documents, said he would agree to be extradited to the U.S. if President Obama granted clemency to Chelsea Manning. Meanwhile, the White House has drawn a distinction between Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden, although both are two of the most prominent whistleblowers of our time. Chelsea Manning is somebody who went through uh, the military criminal justice process, was uh, exposed to due process, uh, was found guilty, uh, was sentenced for her crimes, and she acknowledged wrongdoing. Now, I think it's interesting to draw the comparison there, but Assange, I don't know, I don't know how this applies to Assange and his pledge that if you grant if clemency or whatever that means. Uh, oh, good. We have uh, Altera has a real time link. That would be that would be a huge development, though, if Assange did that. Here we go. We have. I'll put this in the show I, notes. Uh, Assange's statement on this from 2013. So I guess uh, it, one other question that comes to mind is: if you're Barack Obama and you believe this is the right thing to do, right? 
why wait until your last couple days in office to, to do it? If this, this is the right, if it's the right thing to do, it's never too early to do the right thing. Well, so, I wouldn't be surprised the- if there's been additional reports of abuse and maybe uh, health issues, but also probably because it insulates from political fallout when you're on your way out the door. I mean, it's kind of kind of a common thing for presidents to do on their last few days is to, to do things like this. It's not an uncommon. Right. I'm enough. just I, I'm just I'm, I guess I'm simply trying to illustrate that I think that uh, you think there's I, a more I, I think that it's, it's more political. Yeah, I think it's just more political than it is a, a you know, he felt compelled. to. It could be a legacy no choice, positioning but, move. Maybe it's about legacy. Yeah, maybe. So maybe. that so that I would we, like to see him. I mean, because here's like what, what the thing is, because when Obama leaves, you can say, well, what's Obama done? Well, he's he's made he's made strides for climate change advocates, but those could actually be rolled back by Trump pretty quickly for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obamacare mm-hmm. has essentially been a disaster and is about to be dismantled. In most people's opinion, mm-hmm. it's a disaster. He never shut down mm-hmm. Gitmo. Uh, he didn't legalize weed like he said he would. There's a lot of promises he made about hope and change and changing Washington and going against big money. He didn't do any of that mm-hmm. stuff. He bailed out Wall Street. He right. did more quantitative easing. He did. He ratified the drone program. He ratified domestic spying. All of it. He set up. He set up a weapon for future presidents. He used executive power. He went after journalists. What did so when yep. you say what's the Obama legacy? Now you'll have something that actually has some meat. Well, he he yep. he commuted Manning's sentence. I mean, that's really honestly something that because Trump probably wasn't going <laughs> to yeah, do yeah. that. You know, why would Trump do that? He didn't. He wouldn't care. So yeah, I, it, yeah, I think I in some ways it's like sort of a legacy. Big. It was like a it was like a it was like a Trump card. Oh, he had. He, it would have been nice to see him extend that to Snowden and, and maybe even Assange as well, though. Never going to happen. Not never going to happen for Snowden. Uh, you don't think so? I don't, I don't think so. I suppose, I suppose even if they did, then they'd have to take him out after. Uh, the problem is, is now Snowden's a brand. Snowden's gone out there and he's continued to speak uh, publicly, you know, and he's he's happened to be hunkering down with the Russians, which are current boogeyman at this moment. And it's, just, right. it's too far. It's too, it's too far. I want to follow up on Pissgate and uh, break down the origins of the report because when we did Unfilter last week, it had broken the night before the show and I just stayed up all night tracking it. Now we actually have some data on the origins of it and if Trump actually went to Russia and all of that. Part of it is trying to delegitimize his presidency, his election, and it's doing it by the use of fake news. I should mention this is Ted Murdoch. He is – well, he's – he, you should. I'll have him linked in the show notes. He's got a huge resume, but he's also a Trump insider, helped with the campaign, might be an ambassador for Trump, and he seems to have a pretty solid insight on how this works. Up on the screen right now, you might want to take a look at this. I have the flow of how these reports and stories came to be, uh, including how John McCain got them, etc., and why and why John McCain got them. If it's not fake news, no. and, and we don't know, and we don't know, let I, me tell you what the British intelligence told me this morning. Okay. This person, who they know, who was an MI6... This is Mr. Steele. It is Christopher Steele. Was also an FBI asset at one point in time, so he has intelligence uh, background, but he was paid by the people that you mentioned who were working for Jeb Bush. In order to discredit him, the Democrats took over the contract, as you said. He kept adding to the dossier. So I'm going to stop right there. Jeb Bush originally hires this guy. Jeb Bush realizes this isn't working out for me. Then this is totally common. Remember there was this huge dossier about McCain that came out back in the day right. and Romney binders full of women. They this is this opposition research is super common at this level. So mm-hmm. Bush starts this thing off by hiring this former MI6 guy who just digs up dirt on dicks now. He hires this guy to start digging up dirt on Trump. Jeb's campaign flatlines and instead of just this guy walking away, 
the Democrats pick him up and keep paying him. And then he starts milking the Democrats. Now, before we go any further, this, I believe, is how some way McCain gets involved because of the connection to the Trump campaign or to the – I'm sorry, to Jeb Bush and the Republican Party. McCain – McCain and that's how I think McCain got his hand on this report. So anyways, I'll let him continue on. I just thought that was an interesting connection that it was originally the Jeb Bush campaign that hired this guy. Then the Democrats pick him up. Contract, as you said, he kept adding to the dossier and using information given to him by the FSB in Russia, most of it fabricated. The more he put into the dossier, the more he got paid. Oh. So he made a sensationalist dossier <laughs> as fat as possible, just like your lawyer charges you more billable hours in order to get paid more. That's so that's why we get a dossier that's pulling stuff from 4chan, that's making all kinds of cl- claims. Some may be true, some that may not. One claim that is true is Trump did visit Moscow. Mr. Trump was oh, in no. Moscow. Well, the extras in Russia with the man himself, Mr. Donald Trump. And we're going to have a lot of fun. The decision of bringing it here, how did, how did, that, how did that come about? This is an interview in that countries that wanted hotel it, room. over the world. China wanted it. I believe. Just so many in Moscow. people. And we actually do very well in Las Vegas every year. Las- He's very consistent in the way he speaks. You know, have you noticed that China? How did that, how did that come about? Well, we had 18 countries that wanted it all over the world. China wanted it. I mean, just so many different people. And we actually do very well in Las Vegas every year. Las Vegas always wants us. But we had 18 countries and we said, you know, let's get away from Las Vegas this time. Let's go to Moscow. Russia really wanted it badly. And it's very exciting. So there he is in Moscow. And then, of course, he gets a, uh, a big uh, hat. So, so he did go to Russia the, uh, at that time. It, it was, what was the name of the hotel? I can't remember anymore. I, I, you know, very t- nice, like Four Seasons or something, right? It's a very nice hotel chain. It was a nice hotel, so, yeah. You think you think if if you're just just common sense, you think if if you're a, if you're made and you and you notice a, a big urine stain on the middle of the mattress, you think not only would we just change the sheets, but we'd probably just change the entire mattress. Well, and if the room is bugged, right. as they claim, then and Obama stayed in the same room according to the dossier, then that would mean that Obama stayed in a room that was also bugged by the FSB. Right, which wouldn't make any sense because Secret Service would have swept that exactly. I just, so the guy that, that put this uh, dossier together, Christopher Steele, or Steele, um, mm-hmm. he has gone MIA right before his name came out in the public last week after the show. Like while Unfilter was on the air, this guy went on the run. Can you just tell us a little bit about where he is? is- and this is his business partner, and this is the Telegraph interviewing his business partner. And look how nervous this guy is. Can, can, you know, concerns for his safety? I think, I think in the light of everything that's happened over the last 24 hours, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to make any comments at the moment on, uh, on what's happened, whether Orbis has been involved or not. Um, and uh, we'll review that situation over the next couple of days. Voice shaking. In terms of the, the, the contents of this dossier, though, do, does the, do you stand by what was I'm published? not going to make any comments at all about uh, the dossier that, uh, that is being spoken about in the press at the moment. Okay. And can, can you confirm whether uh, Christopher Steele was involved at all? Is his name I can't involved? possibly comment on that at this moment in time. Okay. okay. Thanks right. very much. Thanks very much indeed. Okay, cheers. So he's on the run. Uh, Charum speculates that he's probably dead. I mean, I don't know. Well, that's what I, was wondering. I thought maybe he got shot in the back during a mugging where nothing was taken. I thought maybe something <laughs> bad happened. Nice. Yes, that's right. We need to make our weekly Seth Rich mention. So thank you, Seth Rich. Now, Glenn Greenwald was uh, on the BBC Newsnight, and this interview kind of goes sideways. So I'm going to play it. It's a little tiny bit long, but it's good. 
I think the question about whether to publish was a very easy one before yesterday, which is um, the decision that every news organization that had this document made, which was not to publish. Obviously talking about the Pissgate dossier. Because nobody could verify or vet any of this information. But once the intelligence agencies caused CNN to tell the world that the FBI and CIA had briefed the president and president-elect on this material and that Russia allegedly had dirt on Trump, um, I actually think BuzzFeed did a, an important journalistic service by ending the speculation about what that was and letting everyone see what a farcical document this actually was on which all of this was based. You call it a farcical document. Uh, Donald Trump's called it fake news. Are you basically with him on that? Well, I, I don't know if it's fake or real. I say that it's farcical because, for one thing, at the time it was disclosed, it was not only anonymous in terms of who wrote it. It's now been, the person has been identified. It was someone who was being paid by Democratic operatives to dig up dirt on Hillary Clinton. But the more important part of the document is there's no evidence for any of the claims. It's all based on what anonymous people allegedly told him. So it's impossible to evaluate whether or not these claims are true, which is why no journalistic organization was willing to touch it despite the efforts made to get people to publish it. But hang on a sec, it was taken seriously by the CIA, by the Central Intelligence Agency. Doesn't that elevate it above gossip? A fair question. Right. So the CIA is an agency that has repeatedly got caught lying in the past. It's designed to disseminate propaganda. And they're currently in open warfare with the person who was just elected president of the United States. They oh, <laughs> yeah, they are. They really are. They really are. We're behind Hillary Clinton's campaign. So I agree that once the CIA briefs the president and president-elect on this document, it becomes newsworthy to report that fact. But the mere fact that the CIA tried to enshrine this document in a cloud of authenticity or credibility doesn't, for me as a journalist, convince me at all that the so, claims are true. I want to see evidence first to believe that the claims are hang true. Hang on a second. You're calling the CIA partisan. Are you basically suggesting that if Donald Trump then goes on to ignore everything that the CIA tells him, that's no great loss to America. Did he say that at all, Noah? Did you? No. Did you? No. Did I, did I misunderstand what she just said? No. They're Hang true. on a second. No. You're calling the CIA uh -huh. partisan. Are you basically suggesting that if Donald Trump then goes on to ignore everything that the CIA tells him, that's no great loss to America? This is like an unbelievable question. What's the straw man argument? Have you, have you, are you still beating your wife kind of a question? What would you say? Right. If, if you're Glenn Greenwald, what do you say to this kind of question? Do you just walk out of the interview at this point? <laughs> you got to shut no, her down, I, right? Well, no, what you say is you say we're having parallel conversations. I'm talking about one thing and you're over on left field. So yeah. This is what I think. I think we're in two different universes right now. I think we're in two. Actually, I really liked his answer. Here's what he said. No, I didn't say anything even remotely like that. What I said was that <laughs> the CIA, the CIA was, for you, Glenn. was pitted against the president-elect. Well, that's absolutely true. The, the, former pres the former head of the CIA, Michael Morell, went to the New York Times and endorsed Hillary Clinton. George Bush's CIA head, General Hayden, went to the Washington Post and did the same thing. They both accused Trump of being a recruit of Vladimir Putin. Um, so in they, that case, they were in, in, in that case, whatever, view. whatever they tell him now, he would have to take with a pinch of salt because he would see them as a partisan organization. Is that what you're essentially suggesting? 
I would say that any rational human being with even minimal history of the United States and the CIA would take everything that the CIA says with a huge grain of salt. I would call it actually a dose of rational (laughs) skepticism, given how many times in the past that agency has lied and been in in error. You know, of course, don't you, that the Iraq war was started because that agency said that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and was in an alliance with al-Qaeda, something that turned out to be tragically untrue. And I know, of course, course people would would treat those claims skeptically. Okay. This is what really burns me about this whole thing. Isn't he spot on? You make me look bad. We're going to cut him off. Yeah, I know. This whole thing this whole thing burns me up because the media is this the media is taking this this intelligence agency position as gospel as if there's nothing to be questioned as if it is without any as if it deserves no skepticism with no doubt shall be cast upon it it will just take everything they say as gospel and it drives me crazy it drives me crazy because it seems like there should be ample evidence for really healthy skepticism of what the intelligence i'm not saying you dis you claim everything fake and you say it's all a lie, but you just go with a certain type of skepticism with it after at least looking at their track record. They're an intelligence agency. Right. They're spies. They're trained to lie. It's what they do. It's what they do. I don't I, – and I, I find, I find, of course, the state of journalism to be just horrid and I think they are crapping themselves over the Trump presidency. And I think what journalists need to do is if that ever when that happens again and Jim Acosta doesn't get his question, that very next reporter must ask Jim's question. Yeah. And that way Donald Trump knows that we are united. As Donald Trump then knows that we are united as journalists and journalists, we are now. And I, I think we all know this on the front lines, and we Woo! must be jealous guardians of our democracy. Oh. Jealous guardians oh, yes. of the democracy. Jealous guardians. She's, of the... she's so high-minded. I'm so glad we have people like her keeping our democracy safe. The, if I was Trump, the first thing I would do is throw all of them out. I'd throw them all out. Here's the thing. Journalism was was a really, really important thing. It was the fourth branch of government, so to speak. A hundred years ago, when if you wanted to, when there was one president and you had to inform uh, hundreds of thousands and then later millions of people and then hundreds of millions of people, right? That was journalism was very important. Today, we have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have there's no reason, absolutely no reason that Donald Trump can't take his iPhone or his Android phone out and just tell us what he wants to tell us in his own words. We don't need somebody editing it. We don't need somebody condensing it down for us stupid people. Or get independent media, somebody who, you know, who is who wants to support the administration to have them in there and let them ask some questions and stuff like that. But this idea that we have to have CNN and MSNBC and Fox and and the big it's that's nonsense. They are freaking out because I think what they're really concerned about is alternative media is going to have the same level of access that regular press does. CBS this morning is always the happy go lucky all smiles show. And they had uh, Trump's new press secretary on and. Listen to the way she's speaking, the way she asks this questions. You can feel there's real tension here. Sean, will the press still be allowed to have offices in the West Wing? You see how she's you hear her voice? Mm-hmm. Now the, the 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 CBS morning show is always very happy go lucky. You got Charlie, you got Gail. They, yeah, they're real smiles, all smiles all the time. And this is Nora. Nora's always all smiles. Listen to just again, I'm gonna the tone, and you can hear there's concern that they're not gonna have access. Sean, will the press still be allowed to have offices in the West Wing? Yeah. There you go. All right. Isn't that awkward? 
And there and now listen to this question. Listen to this beginning of this question. So, Sean, are we going to be seeing you in the executive yeah. office building? Right. Is that where we're right. going to be seeing you? Is that where the press is going to be? <laughs> They're asking where are we going to be able to have press conferences? I hope you're going to see me. Hopefully, in a lot of places, there's going to be a lot of activity. As I <laughs> you know what I mean. The yeah. president-elect is <laughs> well, <laughs> looked at some other rooms that are, are bigger and can hold more members of the press. They're looking at having press conferences outside of the regular place because they want to bring in more outside press sources. Sean, will the press still be allowed to have offices in the West Wing? Yeah. <laughs> it's so awkward. It's so awkward. So there is a open letter that the American Press Corps has uh, sent to uh, the White House. Now, the American Press Corps is the journalist, the group of journalists that are generally stationed at the White House in that office that Nora was just asking about. And they sent this open letter to President-elect recently. And they told them that they're going to continue to and that he should brace for accurate and fearless reporting on their part, and they're warning Trump against shutting access down to the media. They are. Uh, they say that it's the. What? They say it's the media that he wants. It's their airtime and their column inches that he's trying to influence. They have what he wants. I quote from their open letter: "You may decide that giving reporters access to your administration has no upside. We think that would be a mistake on your part. But again, you it's, would. It's your choice." We are very good at finding alternative ways to get information. Indeed, some of the best reporting during the campaign came from news organizations that were banned from your rallies. So this is an interesting tone that the uh, press corps is taking. Uh, they also say that uh, you have uh, – when you, when you or your surrogates say or tweet something that is demonstrably wrong, we will say so repeatedly. Facts are what we do. This is the this is the press. And we have no obligation to repeat false assertions, as in we won't report your version of the story, potentially. The fact that you or someone on your team said them is said something is newsworthy. But so is the fact that they don't stand up to scrutiny. Both aspects should receive equal weight. I wonder if that will actually be true. Then they go on to say our role in this great democracy has been ratified and reinforced again, again and again. You have forced us to rethink the most fundamental questions about who we are. And what we are here for. For that, we are most grateful. This is this is the open letter they just sent to the president. They are pissed that alternative media is being brought in. Good. Alex Jones might have a rep there and they don't like that at all. They don't like that. I, Good. that I'll have the rest of the uh, letter uh, linked in the show notes if, if you guys want to see it. But the journalists are coming together. They're uniting. They're uniting to fight Trump. So yeah, that's that. I'm, you know, that, that's really healthy for um for you know, a, a, you know, because you want some people. Ideally, to me, ideal media would be some people for the administration, some people against. People that are against are you know, and so you get presented both sides, and then everyone can kind of make up their mind. That's yeah. It seems like you got one. It you seems have, so like it, it seems like it's exactly what you want your media doing is digging for dirt and not just taking the BS line that the press secretary gives you all the time, which is what they've done for the last right. eight years. Right, but if you're all uniting together to go dig in the same place to come up with the same answers. That seems like we're not uh, – that doesn't solve anything. The way I read that is there's times where they're not going to run with the Trump narrative simply to screw him because they didn't give him access. And that is not good journalism. However, digging into real dirt and exposing that and not just taking the press secretary's lines, that is good journalism in Mm -hmm. my estimation. So maybe some good will come of this. Maybe they'll do their jobs for – essentially it reads like they just realized they haven't been doing their jobs for eight years. So you got to, the whole letters in the show notes. Hey, no, it's kind of tradition for Chase and I to end on a high note. Will you indulge me for a moment? We have sure. uh, we have a few clips in this category to wrap up the show this week. Storm clouds are brewing of one of the nation's newest, most dynamic, profitable, and medically helpful industries. 
You know what I'm talking about. Medical and recreational marijuana. <laughs> Leading the charge against it could be Alabama Republican Senator Jeff Sessions. That is, of course, President-elect Trump's pick for attorney general. And during his confirmation hearings, Sessions seemed to think that toothpaste could be put back in the tube, even though pot is legal in one form or another. She loves her voice. than half the country. She loves talking. All right, go. Would you use our federal resources uh, to investigate uh, and prosecute sick people who are using marijuana in accordance with their state laws, even though it might violate federal law? I won't commit to never enforcing federal law, Senator Leahy, but uh, absolutely it's a um, um, problem of resources for the federal government. To me, this feels like a real like test of your conservatism. If you're a if you're a real conservative, yes. then don't you believe yes. in states' rights uh, through and through? Yes. And that's yes. what that's the yes. that's where it begins and ends. Yes, and the gut check comes when the when when that get when when you have to stand up for something that you don't personally agree with. So if you're a highly religious person on the right and you say I really don't like in this case drugs or it could be abortion, either of the two, and but you have to say you know what I don't personally like it, and so you know my personal belief is that nobody anywhere in the country should do it, but. The Constitution really doesn't say anything about legislating marijuana or abortion, so I guess it's a states' rights issue. He's and had that's s- what the Tenth Amendment says. I guess he's had You're some. Absolutely- he's had some seriously extreme statements against uh, cannabis use in the past. Federal government, you even mandated the death penalty for anyone convicted of a second drug trafficking offense, including marijuana, even though uh, mandatory death penalties are, of course, unconstitutional. Well, I'm not sure under what circumstances I said that, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that sounds like something I would normally say. Okay, well, good. That's that's probably good. It's probably good not to do the death penalty. Uh, and then they're now going from Sessions talking about, well, we might enforce some federal laws depending on funding. Now we go to the other end of the spectrum where local municipalities, uh, states, they just don't care. They're just pushing forward because they're making a ton of money and the people are voting. On Wednesday, the city of Denver, Colorado, reportedly started working on becoming the first city in the U.S. to allow public marijuana use in places such as coffee shops, yoga studios, and art galleries. Even though voters approved the social use measure last November, the ballot proposal failed to spell out any rules for how marijuana could be used in public beyond saying that it can't be smoked inside and that patrons must be 21 to use it. According to state legislators, Colorado's Liquor Control Board already has decreed that no businesses with a liquor license can allow marijuana use. So this is an interesting thing they're working on. So they'll probably uh, crop up as like cannabis bars, um, you know, and and specific lounges that are for pot smoking where they won't be able to serve alcohol. But I think it's probably going to be pretty profitable. What's the rationale behind that? Well, I guess they don't want you mixing your drugs. I suppose like it's for prob- oh, probably, okay. you know, for going home. I, I don't know. I Because there's there's absolutely nothing that prevents somebody from taking prescription pills and then having a couple of beers at the bar. But, right. yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, now CBS News, uh, they're all smiles again because now they're talking about the potential, brace yourself, health benefits of pot. Anyway, we're taking a closer look this morning at a sweeping report on the health effects of marijuana. 
The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine published the results yesterday. Panel looked at medical and recreational use and examined more than 10,000 studies. Now, this is the most comprehensive review since 1999, well before attitudes on the drug evolved. And today, 29 states and the District of Columbia allow some form of legal marijuana. Our Dr. John LaPook is here. He joins us at the table. Welcome, Dr. Morning, LaPook. Gail. So there are 395 pages to the report. I can say you're the only one at the table that's read all 395. <laughs> this is true. We're glad you did that because now you can share. What'd you learn? What'd you see? Well, in terms of, of treatment, there's pretty solid evidence that can be helpful in alleviating uh, chronic pain in adults, nausea from chemotherapy, and then spasticity or muscle spasm in people with multiple sclerosis. They also looked at a whole bunch of other things where there wasn't quite adequate research. They said we need more research for things like epilepsy, you know, PTSD, uh, even anxiety. Were you surprised? Now, it just it, this this is a list of imagine if if the list of things they can now are pretty sure it does help with and the things they think it might help with from one plant. Mm-hmm. How can it how could it stand up to I mean this is this is this is pretty this is pretty remarkable because this is a pretty large meta study. I, I think that's fascinating stuff. The whole thing is at the National Ac- Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. If you want to read more for their report, they also talk about how uh, they. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I'll play the rest of this clip for you because it's it's actually extremely fascinating. They talk a little bit about how they tried to also test some of the side effects, but unfortunately, they don't have enough data. Nausea from chemotherapy, and then spasticity or muscle spasm in people with multiple sclerosis. They also looked at a whole bunch of other things where there wasn't quite adequate research. They said we need more research for things like epilepsy, you know, PTSD, uh, even anxiety. Were you surprised that there are some clear health benefits? Now, do you kind of are, I don't know if you follow this, but are, are you familiar with kind of why they believe that it has this many health benefits? No. So this guy talks about that just a little bit here. From marijuana? Not at all. This drug back up a little bit. From marijuana? Not at all. This drug, you know, cannabis works on a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system, which is this amazing system that we're just starting to scratch the surface of. It's important for all sorts of things, pain, mood, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, even immune function, reproductive function, uh, blood vessel, heart. I mean, we're just figuring out this is pharmacologically active. And uh, it's not surprising to me at all that you can manipulate the system and get some benefits. So cannabinoids are the cannabis part. That's the cannabis part. of, right. yeah, yeah. And there's little receptors all over your body, in your brain, in your muscles, everywhere, where the little uh, cannabinoids click in. They Snap in, and it turns out there is a, seems to be a wide range of benefits from it because this, this is a system. It's it's fascinating that this plant grows and it has these little things that plug into a system that runs all kinds of things in your body. The endocannabinoid system, or whatever you call it. It's, I find the whole thing to be really kind of an, an intriguing thing. Cannabis works on a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system. So if you want to know more about that, that's what you Google. Which is this amazing system that we're just starting to. Scratch the surface of. It's important for all sorts of things, pain, mood, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, even immune function, reproductive function, uh, blood vessel, heart. I mean, we're just figuring out this is pharmacologically active. And uh, it's not surprising to me at all that you can manipulate the system and get some benefits. Now, it makes you wonder what kind of things, what kind of benefits we've been missing out on by throwing people in jail for it. No, I thank you for making it to the show. Would you do me a solid? Will you stick around for the overtime coming up next? 
Absolutely. Now, you can find Noah at Colonel Linux on the Twitter. You can also catch him every single week on the Linux Action Show. Noah, is there anything else you want to plug before you get out of here? Well, I think that's about it. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun to talk about politics from time to time. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for making it. And best wishes to Mr. Chase. Hope he feels better soon. Don't forget that Patreon. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. That's where you go to support the show and get access to more of our Sync, there's a lot more clips that we didn't play. Now, some of them are going to be in overtime, but there's a lot more coming up. If you join us live over jblive.tv on a Wednesday, you can hang out in our chat room. You can vote on titles, which is always a lot of fun. You can help fact check us in real time. It's sort of a next level unfilter. But if you miss the show, whenever YouTube doesn't mess up, which I think might have happened today, actually. Apologize if you came in late to the live stream. I also am trying to post the entire live stream to the Patreon, to anybody. It's open to everyone. You just go when I when it works, you find it at patreon.com slash unfilter. If you do become a patron, you can opt to get notifications via email when I post a live stream. And because there's no editing involved and there's no post processing involved, you can often get the live stream hours after the show's wrapped up, where sometimes the final product takes until the next day to get out. So if you're an unfilter addict, it might, worth, it might be worth becoming a patron just so you get notifications about the live stream postings. Check that out at patreon.com slash unfilter. I'm at Chris LAS, the network at Jupiter Signal, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live times. Oh my gosh. And last but not least, your clips and news stories on filter.reddit.com. See you next week. Watch out. The Unfiltered Show isn't even close to over because now it's overtime. Brought to you by Patreon.com slash Unfiltered. Thank you to our patrons. This segment is dedicated to you. Thank you to our new patrons this week. We got Dag, Taylor, Andrew, Dalton, and Mike. That's how we go. That's how we roll. All right, Mr. Noah, let's get into our first overtime clip. I got I actually have some conspiracy bacon around the Joe Biden, Barack Obama bromance that the media won't shut up about this has been going on and on as sort of like a goodbye to Barack and uh, Joe and I want to play this clip for you and then tell you my theory on why this is getting so much attention I believe there's something bigger at play the one great thing among the four of us there's been no nothing missed between the cup and the lip we so there's been this, I, this is I, this is Biden at his finest. So Biden, everybody thinks that Biden is this bumbling fool where he just says stuff off the and you never know what old Joe's going to say. And that is that is true. 
But these kinds of things, with yes. these these one-liners he has right here, where there was uh, – this is written for him and pre-planned for him to slip in. So I'm going to listen with that in mind. Keep in mind, this is, this is actually Joe being prepared. The one great thing among the four of us, there's been no – missed between the cup and the lip we we have the same value set now what the hell what the hell is he even talking about he continues on this man has more backbone more more integrity than any president i've ever worked with and i've worked with eight damn that's a hell of a statement presidents and what i've learned was that his uh his affection Uh and his loyalty to my boys and to my daughter and to my granddaughters and i i to their family this is something Joe always does. He always goes to the family. He always goes to Bo. He always goes to the family. And that's how he really connects it. real. Um, I remember, uh, you know, uh, when Bo was first diagnosed and he rushed to the hospital. He came, he came literally running down the hall in the shirt sleeves. Is he all right? Is he all right? I said, well, you know, he may have to leave. And I said, uh, but he has no income but that. So, But I said, we're in good shape. I can sell the house and we'll, we'll be okay. He gets up from, we're having what we do once a week, a private lunch. He and I talk about anyone. And he grabs said, Joe, promise me. Joe, Joe, promise me you won't sell the house. I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money. Andrea Mitchell, she just says, that's so incredible, Joe. Joe, that's so incredible. No, don't sell the house. Sasha wasn't able to be at his farewell speech. You know where she was? Sitting in the living room with my daughter. uh, It's funny. He makes a little mistake here. It's kind of a funny one to mistake because I couldn't imagine ever doing this as a father of two young daughters. Uh, He says he mistakes his granddaughter for his daughter. Uh, My granddaughter uh, um, uh, studied for a chemistry exam together. How does Joe even do that? How does he mistake his granddaughter for his daughter? Uh, My granddaughter uh, um, uh, studied for a chemistry exam together. I mean, this is we become our our, my granddaughters, his daughters, each other's best friends. Oh, yeah. I don't like him. I love him. I don't like him. I love him. And I uh, um, and it's uh, it's a mutual thing. It's a bromance. It's a bromance. So what's going on here, Noah? Before I jump in with my uh, my thesis, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in with what you think might be going on here. I'm 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 actually pretty lost. I'll be interested to see how you spin this. So Obama and Joe and um, there's others. Uh, so also another part of the tight team is Josh Ernest, uh, Obama's press secretary. They have a super big bromance going on, too. This is part of my theory. Uh, in that spirit, let me say for the, uh, the last time standing up here. This is Josh Ernest's Josh, final speech or a final uh, press conference. Sure. Thanks, Josh. I am... So Obama walks out, and they act like it's a big surprise. Obama walks out right on cue with cameramen behind him. So this is so staged, but supposedly a surprise. See, it says right here in the lower third, President Obama surprises Josh Ernest in his last press briefing. It's not a surprise. There's cameraman position. Josh, you want to get started with questions? Sure. Thanks, Josh. I am... I'm not interrupting because he was saying nice things about you guys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, because uh-huh. I largely concur. Uh-huh. Uh, when I first met Josh Ernest, uh, he was in Iowa. Uh, I think he was wearing jeans. He looked even younger than he was. 
and since my entire campaign depended on communications in Iowa, um, I gave him a, a pretty good uh, uh, once-over. This goes kind of in a weird direction. I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. but And there are a couple things I learned about him right away. And I thought he was going to talk about his intelligence. I thought he'd talk about his insights mm-hmm. into communication. Uh, number one, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's just got that all-American, matinee, good-looking thing going. <laughs> what? That's helpful. No, he Let's doesn't. Let's face it. No, he doesn't. Face made for television. What? Then the guy's name is Josh Ernest. Yeah, that's ironic. The biggest... Which, if somebody's speaking on your behalf, uh, is a pretty good name to have. I always thought that was pretty ironic, too. I'm glad Obama realized it. So there's this tight-knit group of the Obama cabinet that's leaving now where they're all just falling over each other. Josh went on a bunch of interviews and said that the president was his idol. It's who he formed and modeled himself after. And I mm. believe – and Obama's also done a lot of interviews with NBC – where he's talking about how his spirit's strong, he's, he's, he believes in the American people. I think Obama is positioning a tight team to take over in place of the Clinton Foundation. I think, the, oh, I think Obama is assembling himself as, the, as potentially the next leader of the Democratic Party. And, these are, mm-hmm. I, and I think he's – and Biden's probably hoping that whatever Obama ends up doing, he brings Biden with him. And I just find the whole thing to be fascinating because they're all going around slapping each other on the back when in reality they're just positioning themselves politically for the next thing. No, I think you're right, and I think that um, I think that that would only have been possible if had Donald Trump won, because had Hillary Clinton won, then the Democrats and, and liberal America would have, you know, they would have a course to follow. Right now, they're they're kind of like a dog in search of a leader, right? And yeah. So yeah. Now Obama, private citizen, you know, every how many I've seen so many Facebook posts, people saying, "What's Obama going to do next?" I can't wait to see what Obama does as a private citizen. Right. Yeah. I've seen I've seen a lot of admiration around that. Uh, all right. Well, that's I just I just wanted to w- open up overtime with sort of this weird, interesting phenomenon, this this uh, multi-channel bromance where they're all loving each other of, on a full spectrum news coverage. Let's go, though, back to some cu- stuff we talked about last week um, regarding that piss report. The call came after Mr. Trump suggested yesterday the intelligence agencies might have leaked a damaging document about him, which would be a tremendous blot. On their record, if they in fact did that, so someone in the intelligence agency leaked that that piss report that said that he, you know, hired right. the the Russian hookers, and he's saying if somebody in the, in the intelligence agency, it would it would have had to have come from the intelligence agency. It would have had to have been leaked. That's a big disgrace. A tremendous blot. Mr. Clapper said he didn't think they had leaked it. I, I express so. my profound dismay at the leaks. We both agreed that they are extremely corrosive and damaging to our national security. Further, as we reported yesterday, Mr. Clapper said the intelligence community did not consider the 35-page document smearing Mr. Trump reliable, oh. a summary of which was included with the top-secret report on Russia's influence on the election in an appendix titled Disinformation. The former commander of NATO says Mr. Trump's relationship with the intel leadership is irreparably broken and that he needs his own team in place. What do you think? Yeah, okay. Why was it back in, in 2008 when Obama got elected, he went, he campaigned on we need to rail in uh, homeland security. We the, the way to further democracy is not to infringe on the privacy of, of Americans. That's not the way to make our, our, our security stronger. In fact, it's just the opposite. We can't compromise that. And here's what that was. The media, that was Obama 
is fixing all of Bush's mistakes. Oh, Bush screwed all of this stuff up. And so the intelligence community is, is spying on Americans, but that's Bush's fault because it happened under Bush's watch. And so Bush wanted all this stuff to happen. It's all Bush's fault. Obama's a hero. Trump says if, if the intelligence agencies leaked some of this information, it's not, well, President Obama was, you know, for eight years, he he saw this and, and the whole Edward Snowden thing blew up under his watch and we didn't have any policy change. We didn't have any reform. That's about, no, it's Trump's attacking that it's irreparably damaged. It, he has irreparably damaged his relationship well, with, with our spies. The thing is, is not only has he been attacking them publicly, but he's also the Kremlin candidate. The BBC's flagship current affairs program has aired an addition on the alleged financial ties between U.S. President-elect Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. It also reports on whether Russia played a key role in Trump's election success. And making its assumptions very clear, the BBC called the program the Kremlin candidate. Oh! As he's about to take office, we ask, what does the Trump-Putin bromance mean for us? And what happens if the two leaders fall out? There's a bit of a firefight behind us. RT's Ilya Petrenko explains how pulling in the viewers... I love the idea of not only taking running with the assumption that uh, Russia planted Trump, but then extrapolating from there what happens when it falls apart. Like that's brilliant fear mongering. That's next level stuff there. You got to <laughs> hand it to the BBC. It's nice when you have good, secure, reliable funding. You can really do long term planning like that. Uh, while we're that's talking, really, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> While we're talking, I like the Kremlin candidate. I think I'm going to suggest that as a title. While we're talking about um, uh, fake news, do you have any interest in talking about Pizzagate? I haven't really covered it much. Are you up to date? Are you up to date on Pizzagate? Are you up to date? Because this clip from Ben Swan might bring you up to date if you're not fully familiar with the whole thing. But it's 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 well, I'll let Ben explain. Well, Pizzagate, it became a major story weeks ago when an armed man decided to investigate a D.C. area pizza place for himself. This man right here, he carried a rifle into a pizza parlor and then fired it at the floor. Media is telling you the entire story is a hoax or fake news. But what does that even mean? I spent the last month investigating. So what exactly is Pizzagate? And are there any actual facts to support the story? I've got to warn you, what we're going to talk about tonight will be disturbing to some people. But this is a reality check you won't see anywhere else. Go, Ben! Pizzagate actually comes from the WikiLeaks release of hacked emails from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta. In all, WikiLeaks dumped around 50,000 email messages. And it was from those emails that the claims that John Podesta may be part of a child sex trafficking ring come from. Now, to be clear... Not one single email in the Podesta emails discusses child sex trafficking or pedophilia. That is a fact. But there are dozens of what seem to be strangely worded emails dealing with pizza and handkerchiefs. Self-described online investigators say that those words in the emails about pizza and the talk of handkerchiefs is code language used by pedophiles. So how did a D.C. pizza parlor get pulled into the story? Well, again, read any mainstream report, and they indicate that Comet Ping Pong Pizza was somehow linked to this fake story and has no relation to anyone involved. But the truth is, that's not true either. What media is ignoring is that the Comet Ping Pong Pizza place is actually referenced in the Podesta emails at least a dozen or so times, and that the owner of that place, James Alphantis, is a friend of John Podesta. He was actually named, this is kind of strange, by GQ magazine as one of the top 
50 most powerful people in Washington. Yes, we're talking about a pizza parlor owner. Hey, that's nice. Now let's talk facts here. There is no solid evidence that Comet Ping Pong Pizza is being used to run a child sex trafficking ring. But there are some very strange connections between Comet Ping Pong Pizza and a second pizza place two doors over, Besta Pizza, and the accusations of pedophilia. Now, this is where things start to get strange when you research this story. Now, to begin, I need to show you a 2007 unclassified FBI document. That document, according to the FBI, contains commonly used symbols by pedophiles to express their preference in children. I want you to see these images here. These are the images. Notice this one on the end, the triangle. That image signifies something called boy love. The pizza place next door to Comet Ping Pong Pizza, Besta Pizza, well, this was their logo until only a few weeks ago. Which, for those of you on the audio feed, looks like the boy love symbol. Clearly, you can see that the Besta logo actually contains... The same image, I'm going to show you again, as that boy lover image. Interestingly, after Pizzagate investigators pointed this out, Besta Pizza changed their logo, and there it is now. They removed the triangle. Probably a good idea. Also, Comet Ping Pong, owned by Alphantis, is the place where a number of performance artists perform regularly. Two of the groups that perform there, who you can see advertised, by the way, on this Comet Ping Pong poster, include a group called Heavy Breathing and another group called sex stains. Well, if you check out the YouTube videos by these bands, Heavy Breathing has songs that do joke about pedophilia. And the band Sex Stains has a video that includes, and you see it right there, that same boy lover symbol. It's nearly identical to the one that the FBI does say is a pedophile code symbol for boy love. As I said, there are some strange things there. As for the owner of the pizza place, James Alphantis, Well, he was one time in a relationship with David Brock, who ran Media Matters for America. Oh. Well, since Pizzagate began to blow up online, he has made his Instagram profile, Jimmy Comet, private. Yeah, I probably would, too. An archive search (laughs) of Instagram reveals a number of strange photographs and words with strange and disturbing images associated with them. Look, to the point where we can't show you those pictures— We're not even going to describe them to you because some viewers would find it too disturbing to share on TV. Now let's talk about the Podesta brothers, because remember, it was John Podesta's email that was hacked in those leaked Podesta emails. John Podesta talks about. So just to just to take a pause, because I have seen that Instagram feed, too. Uh, In fact, Mm -hmm. it was that Instagram feed that put it over the top that made me decide, well, we're going to at least address it in a previous episode called Pizza Bait, where we really kind of came down on this is more like a conspiracy theorist trap to delegitimize news and fake news and created the fake news Mm -hmm. phenomenon. This was sort of the scandal that kicked off fake news. So, but the the Instagram feed is is really something else. Um, It's children. So that's why they're not discussing it. And uh, so he goes on to talk about Podesta, which is where this information came from. Now, I, I want to, I want to pick up where I, what I think might actually be going on here, but we'll let, I want him to give you information about the Podesta brothers first. On TV. Now let's talk about the Podesta brothers, because remember, it was John Podesta's email that was hacked in those leaked Podesta emails. John Podesta talks about his close relationship with Dennis Hasteret, the former Speaker of the House, who was recently sentenced to 15 months in prison for abusing boys years ago. He was referred to by the judge as a serial child molester. According to the Washington Post, visitors to Tony Podesta's home in Falls Church got an eyeful when they walked into a bedroom at the Podesta residence hung with multiple color pictures by Katie Grannon, a photographer known for documentary-style pictures of naked teenagers in their parents' suburban homes. 
And to be clear, that just begins to scratch the surface of how strange some of this stuff is. And bear in mind, we can't get into a lot of the real details of it because of the limits on broadcasting this on television. But it is some very strange stuff. Now keep in mind, again, there is no proof here that there is a child sex ring being operated out of a D.C. pizza parlor. Investigators have already proven there's nothing to the story, right? Well, actually, no. And that's what you need to know. For all that is here, there has not been one single public investigation of any of this. Not from local police, not from the FBI, no one. And that has to be the big question. Not for Podesta or for pizza parlor owners, but for law enforcement. Based on what may be or may not be here, the big question is, why hasn't any investigation taken place? That's so I have, I mean, what are your thoughts after, what are your initial reactions after hearing that? Too, well, too my, insane to be real, right? Yeah, you know, my first initial reaction is, how the heck did I miss this? I consider myself oh, really? to the news pretty close. Yeah. yeah I, this is the first time I've, I just, I feel completely uninformed. But, um, it was covered um, yeah, much more online is, for sure. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the second thing is, is I, I guess my second reaction is just that it, it, it seems like they're piecing a lot of things, we're piecing a right. lot of Yep. A lot of half things together yep. to try and construct a truth, yeah. which I never like doing. I agree. And that's always suspicious. Um, and there are threads that, uh, that pull all the pieces together online if you want to find them. You know, I, I, have, um, I have sort of a skeptical view when it involves child pornography or pedophilia. It's often a smokescreen by the intelligence agencies or by a politician that doesn't want to get caught. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things um, that uh, – Sort of dis- you get distracted that you can sort of get away with if you claim pedophilia, if you claim think of the children. So one of the other things that's really interesting about this pizza restaurant is the type of people that go there. It's pretty popular in the D.C. area. Nancy Pelosi loves to go there. Senator Al Franken loves to go there. Diane Feinstein likes to go there. Anderson Cooper likes to go there. Yes, even Anderson Cooper. Oh, my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper, everybody. So it's a large large range of people that like to go there. And I wouldn't be too surprised if if there wasn't something going on completely unrelated to pedophilia, but probably something that they also don't want us to know about. Probably something more like some sort of collaboration, something like that. Less pedophilia, but there you got to have a smoke screen, right? A smoke screen that's so so out there and crazy that it's it's almost immediately illegitimate on its face. Now, of course, you would have thought the the, the the pissing thing would have been also just as equally illegitimate, but this actually did get mainstream coverage. Um, <clears throat> so my, I don't know. There is a lot of smoke there. I don't see any fire, but there's a lot of smoke there, and I wonder if maybe it's not a smoke screen. Uh, and that's why I decided I to talk about something. It. Yeah. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let's let's shift gears and let's talk. Let's let's go back to a story. Actually, I was going to ask you, but you weren't on the show, Ben. So then, so this will recap a little bit. This is sort of following up on a story we covered uh, weeks ago. Seven months after 49 people were killed in a mass shooting at Orlando's Pulse nightclub carried out by 29-year-old Omar Mateen, the FBI today arrested his widow, Noor Salman. Family members say federal agents seen in this early morning video took her into custody at this house in Northern California, where she's been living since shortly after the attack. Yeah, so that the wife, the guy's wife has gotten picked up. Loretta Lynch sits here and, and pretends like uh, she knows exactly what's going on. I'm, I am... I hope the door doesn't hit her in the ass on the way out. Uh, now, 
not moving too far away from Pissgate and the reporting, it was it was initially BuzzFeed that published all the details, including the entire dossier that we had. It was CNN right. that was much more cautious. And uh, I, it, we really came down on them pretty hard last week as fake news. And this is a clip that's in defense of BuzzFeed. Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Much like General Patton, Donald Trump believes the best defense is a good offense. So after BuzzFeed published an unverified document suggesting he'd been co-opted by the Russian government, Trump launched an all-out attack on the press during today's news conference, his first since last July. It was a high-energy event, to say the least. Here's a highlight reel of what happened. I will be the greatest this music is producer. What? I'm going to... No, 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 no. accident, on Tuesday, BuzzFeed chose to release a 35-page dossier on Trump whose contents even BuzzFeed's editors admitted could not be verified. In fact, the publication said explicitly, quote, the report contains errors. BuzzFeed's conduct may be among the worst excesses of yellow digital journalism, but many are arguing they're just... <gasps> he called it yellow journalism. I just noticed that. We called our... That's awesome. That's awesome. We nailed the title last week, just saying. The decision to publish that piece was justified. We're joined now by Matthew Ingram of Fortune Magazine, who authored a piece today... Defending BuzzFeed. Matthew, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. One of my favorite reporters, uh, Michael Tracy, wrote something this morning that made me think of this. He said, and I'm quoting, he said, WikiLeaks relentlessly attacked for publishing verified, authentic information. BuzzFeed is cheered for publishing what is a total sham. You have been critical of WikiLeaks for publishing emails that did not belong to them, and yet you're cheering the publication of material that is clearly wrong. Why? In fact, I was supportive of WikiLeaks. Um, I, I support their attempts to publish documents that would otherwise go unpublished. I support BuzzFeed's decision to do the same when those documents are clearly part of an important story. They said they were unverified. They didn't say that everything in there was true. All they said was these documents are being discussed at the highest levels. Senior intelligence agents have effectively said this source is credible and yet so yeah i wanted to post this question to you so his and i'll make it quicker than more succinct than matt is so what he's trying to say is it is news because at the highest levels of government mccain the fbi director the intelligence agencies the president they're all looking at this document right now ergo regardless of it's right or wrong it is in fact now news so publish 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 so if I go – if I tomorrow – do you think if I call the uh, the FBI and tell them that I'm a British uh, agent and I can't, I can't prove it and I'm not going to offer any proof or evidence of that, I'm just going to tell you I claim to be a British agent and then give you this dossier, does that mean they'll discuss that at the highest level? He was legitimately a or former – he was le- – he, he is legitimately a former MI6 agent. Uh, I have got information about him in the show notes. Um, so it's uh, – but he's, he's a former MI6 agent who is now sort of a dig-up dick – Dig up dick. Dig up dirt on dicks for hire. That's what he does now. Um, anyways, but we're going to – I want to – before we go too far from that, uh, I mm-hmm. I think there's a point to be made here that it is news. I think what's wrong is that wasn't how BuzzFeed positioned the report. They, repos- they positioned the report as if the Russians have blackmail on Trump, not, hey – um, the administration is talking about this particular thing. You should know about it. It was – Hey, the Russians have blackmail on Trump, and CNN ran it the same way. CNN did the exact same thing, yeah. and that's, I think, what the real issue is, I guess. And if if if, if, 
if memory serves correctly, it was a pretty straightforward process. You know, Trump just asked the guy, I want to see your passport. He hasn't left the country, right? Why, why isn't it, why couldn't BuzzFeed contact them and just ask? Or why didn't CNN just contact him and ask and say, hey, have you been to this? Have you been to this? Like, why not verify some of the, some of the little things? So you know who Elizabeth Warren is? Yeah, I have a general idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. she. Uh, I really think she might be uh, the the next populist candidate. Uh, she might. She is man. She is going after every single person associated with Trump. She won't even shake their hands. I was watching her. I was watching the live stream of a C-SPAN briefing, and she, the person mm-hmm. that we are about to play a clip of, she was doing an interview with this person. At the end of it, they go around and she shakes everybody's hand, and Elizabeth Warren refused to shake her hand. I mean, she is going after Trump. She's going to run for president, I think, in four years. She said. I will oppose every one yep. of your candidates. She didn't yeah. care who they are. She doesn't yeah. know who they are. Yeah, I know. I'm so, just- here, and she's doing it. I'd like to ask you about your qualifications for leading the nation on higher education. The Department of Education is in charge of making sure that the $150 billion that we invest in students each year gets into the right hands and that students have the support they need to be able to pay back their student loans. The Secretary of Education is essentially responsible for managing a trillion-dollar student loan bank and distributing $30 billion in Pell Grants to students each year. The financial futures of an entire generation of young people depend on your department getting that right. Wow. Now, Mrs. DeVos, do you have any direct experience in running a bank? Senator, I do not. Uh Uh-huh. Do you have you ever managed or overseen a trillion-dollar loan program? I have not. How about a billion-dollar loan program? I have not. Okay. So no experience in managing a program like this. How about participating in one? I think it's important for the person who is in charge of our financial aid programs to understand what it's like for students and their families who are struggling to pay for college. Mrs. DeVos, have you ever taken out a student loan from the federal government to help pay for college? I have not. Uh, Have any of your children had to borrow money in order to go to college? They have been fortunate not to. Uh huh. Have you had any personal experience with the Pell Grant? Uh, Not personal experience, but certainly friends and um, students with whom I've worked. So you have have. no personal experience with college financial aid or management of higher education, Mrs. DeVos? Then (laughs) she's just going after. I mean, I can play the rest of it, but isn't you get my point, right? Yeah, and and here's the thing: as you know, first of all. If you don't think that the federal government should be responsible for education and yet your job is to nominate somebody to be the Department of Education, you would pick somebody like her, right? That's number one. Here's number two. If I was if I if you put Noah in charge of revamping the uh, the the college loan system, the federal government, I'll call it the trap that it is. The first thing I would do is say, we really need to look at this very carefully and ask ourselves, why are we loaning hundreds of thousands of dollars to 17 and 18 year old kids that have no collateral and no credit history? And 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 then we, the taxpayer, are guaranteeing that money so that they can major in all sorts of things and, like German polka history. And, and there's, and there's no way out of that money. money. There's no way out of that debt either. Right. There's no way out. Yep. I, yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. I want to just uh, lighten the mood for a moment. Uh, and we're just going to do a uh, just a, a quick version, a, qu- a quick detour. Then I think we're just about done with the overtime. How does your first overtime feel, Noah? Amazing. You know, we I shouldn't was, have skipped this last time. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna ask you. Remind me after this clip. I want to ask you uh, about uh, about what's going on over there. But first, just a quick detour. No, 
I mean, you don't really believe that, do you? What are the venues where you shouldn't scream your political views at people? Would a funeral be out of bounds, church, her son's bris? Like, what are the rules? You know what? That's a deeply, with respect, disingenuous thing for you to say. And again, is where did you get that right? You said you were elected by well, whom? I didn't vote well, for you. Okay. So I think let's that go you're humiliating to, yourself by uh, your unwillingness to answer a simple question. <laughs> but you haven't, you're not telling the entire truth about the costs here. I've been talking about a transformation of Tucker Carlson recently. Now, I still see him kind of finding his footing. He's not there yet. But this is sort of a summation of what I've been talking about. He's he's hitting people a lot harder than, well, anybody else is on TV right now. Boy, there's something very disingenuous about you continuing to say you want to take us out of the political world. It's not partisan. When your statements have been entirely partisan. Okay. She looks like she smells like vanilla. I mean, who's a objectifying women here. <laughs> Just the whole, the whole clip is uh, is in the supporter sink. It's it's pretty great. And then I thought maybe one more thing because have you ever noticed how old presidents look? Like Obama looks nothing like oh, Obama. Yeah, yeah I, I think we've oh, all yeah. noticed that. So this uh, CNN clip takes a little bit on it's that. It's that time again. Time for news organizations to roll out those before and after photos to show how much our departing president has aged. It's been dubbed the White House effect, and it usually involves wrinkles and white hair, or as Michelle Obama puts it, my very own silver fox. Your hair is so white, it tried to punch me at a Trump rally. Maybe you've heard there's a formula for presidential aging. The typical president ages two years for every year they're in office. And there really is one reason. It's the stress. No, it's not true. They do not age at twice the normal what? Uh, rate. Longevity expert Professor Jay Olshansky well, disputes okay. Dr. Michael Roizen's formula. Longevity Perhaps expert. the graying of the hair and wrinkling of the skin may occur more rapidly as a result of stress, but it's certainly not shortening their lives. Professor Olshansky says research shows presidents live way longer than regular citizens. Look at George H.W. Bush skydiving. He's actually in the hospital right now. So uh, bad timing. Bad, bad, yeah, bad timing, CNN. Bad taste. Bad taste. Noah, thank you for joining me, for sticking through the whole damn overtime, too. Are you staying warm over there? Are you still buried in the snow? What's going on over there? No, man. No, it's getting it's getting warmer all the time. The uh, temperatures, I took my jacket off today. It was great. And the only problem I have now is the snow banks are so high, I can't see around the corners. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Now, how long will it take for those to melt? Like a solid three months or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll pray. We'll see the last of the snow leave until about March. <laughs> Well, thank you for making it here. Anyways, thank you for watching this far. If you're watching this far on YouTube, give us a thumbs up for long-form content, because you know how YouTube is. They want it seven minutes or less. And if you somebody likes it long, I'm sorry, but still, smash that thumbs. You know what I'm saying? All right. Thanks for being here, guys. <laughs> Get it out of here.